A couple weeks ago, we got to church on Sunday, and of course the previous Friday there had been a Supreme Court ruling, like we have many of those that that take place, and it was a striking down of the ban on same-sex marriage. And of course when church members ask their pastor, it's a, it's a pretty uh, non-threatened environment. But I imagine that most of you, when, when something like that happens and you're at work or in your neighborhood or in just the world, it's not as easy to just come back with, what do you think about that? Because, you know, it's a very emotionally a charged thing. And I think over the last 20 years, the things that have happened in our society that, and in the world that have, have provoked us, and, and it's almost like everyone wants a response. You think back to the time, for those of you who can remember, Columbine. And I still remember that Oklahoma City bombing. We remember 9-11 like it was yesterday, still probably where you were when all that took place. Uh, Supreme Court decisions. You go back to 1973 to Roe v. Wade and uh, the legalization of abortion. And, and so everyone has an opinion. And, you know, your opinion may not be a, a popular opinion as, as a Christian, as a, someone who believes uh, in God. And it you'll get a, get a question from someone, how do you respond? And so I had a few people asking me, and I, I wrote a little bit on, on my blog and just a few thoughts, but it got me thinking more and more as we, as we live in difficult times, uh, very similar to what we find in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, and just to give a little bit of a setting in this, had just been released from prison in Rome, and he was free to be about, he was going to be returning to prison uh, not too uh, far in the future and eventually would be beheaded. Um, He's put to death for his faith. Well, he had many young sons that he would pour into and disciple and develop and just just give himself to. And one of those, probably the most notable one, was Timothy. Timothy was his young son in the faith that he would pour into and help. And Timothy had been given responsibility of a church in Ephesus, this is in modern-day Turkey, uh, not far off the coast on the, on the west side. And that church was a, a prominent church, a growing church, but had a lot of issues, just a lot of issues. And Paul's challenge to young Timothy was to help get this church set in order. I want, I want to help you, son, to get this in order. But he also has a lot of things to deal with in the world just happening you think uh, when we will always look to a president or a Congress or our senators or our local government and say, you know what, they're making those decisions and we're talking about that. I don't know if you could get worse times than what Paul had, because do you remember who the emperor was when he writes this letter? Nero. So uh, you're thinking Nero is in control. There is a tremendous persecution with Christians. Uh, he, he is a godless leader. So you've got all those issues. You've got all the issues within the church because Christians have problems too. And it reminds me of what Paul said in, in Romans chapter 8. What shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? How do we respond? What, what, what do we do? And I think when I, you look at the decay, the moral decay of our society, you look at the, the changing of laws, you look at all of the problems, the difficulties, and the threats uh, the world events, the cataclysmic things like earthquakes and fires and and uh, tsunamis that wipe away thousands of people, hurricanes and tornadoes. 
what shall we say to these things? And I love this passage because Paul begins by speaking to Timothy, and he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So if we kind of narrow that statement down, he's saying, I urge you, Timothy, first of all, pray for all people. And the word urge comes from two words. One means to come alongside of. In other words, you you come along, put your arm around someone. And the second word is to encourage. And that's the nature of Christian fellowship. That's the way we live together. It's not uh, so much a lecture, like I'm going to stand up and tell you all how to live. (laughs) That's more fun. I can just point my finger and, and tell you stuff or point you in a certain way or give you a book. Read that. But what he is saying in this word urge is, I'm going to come alongside you, and I want you to do the same with others. I'm going to come alongside. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to feel this with you. And we're going to have a discussion. And I'm going to urge you and encourage you that, first of all, and it's not the word uh, we get, uh, the word is protos. We get prototype or first. It's not so much the, uh, the first in a list of things, but first in importance. Above everything else you're going to do, you need to pray. You need to pray for all people. Now, I think that's probably the hardest thing we do is pray. We'd rather just get busy. Do, I mean, we just got to feel like I'm doing something, okay? I've got to say something. I've got to do something. And, and I think that probably most of us, when, when we hear a Supreme Court decision or we hear something else, uh, we, immediately we kind of go into action mode that I've got to give an opinion on this. <laughs> I need to say something. I need to write something. And nowadays it's, um, it's like, you know, I'm going to type it on out and then send it and then think about what I just said. And I think the technology has made that so much easier. Usually when you, when you take a pen and you're writing something out, you've got to think about it a little bit. <laughs> and, and, and yet with, um, with a, typing it out on a keyboard and just and send, have you ever done a whoops when you send it? And then you're scrambling, trying, how do I get that back? How do I get that back? How do I get that back? <laughs> and uh, well, I've learned one thing. Anything you put down on a computer, it, it just be ready for the whole world to see it, whether you like it or not. And we have all kinds of responses. We need to march on Washington. We need to say something. We need to write something. We need to do something. We need to go protest. We need to write our congressman. They're probably in a state of crisis, a thousand things you're going to want to do. And Paul comes along, Timothy is his son, and he said, I want, to, I want to challenge you, first of all, of preeminence. You pray. Pray for who? Pray for all people. And we're going to look at that over the next few weeks. And I'm not going to be able to digress into all of it, but I want to hit some, some high-level themes today because I think that to, to understand the context of this, because some people are hard to pray for. Um, we'd rather criticize them. We'd rather be mad at them. We'd rather say something about them. 
But what Paul is saying to Timothy in every crisis within the church, without out the church, in all of the world, with all the things going down, if I can pass on any skill set to my boy, to my son, I want you to learn to pray for all people. Pray for all people. And he, he makes a, a statement, really, that... Uh, shows that the desire is for people to be saved. And when we say that, I know that's, that's kind of a loaded word. For some of you, we, we use that word all the time. But as praying for all people, your translation may say all men, but the, the word anthropos, we get man or study of, of men, is in the context is for all people. All people. Is we pray for all people to be saved. Because when God does the full work of saving us, washing away our sins, giving us eternal life, changing us into the likeness of Christ, and culminating everything together when we're with him in heaven, it resolves all the issues. And we can chase a lot of things, and we can march for a lot of causes, and we can correct a lot of problems. But the great need of your children, your grandchildren, your neighbor, your friend, this world, our president, world leaders, of all men, the great need of all men is salvation. Is to come to know God personally through Jesus Christ and have eternal life. That doesn't mean it takes away all of your problems, but it puts you in touch with the solution. And that's the great need. And that's what I believe this church needs to be energized toward that, to pray for all men to be right before God relationally. And it's amazing how all the issues begin to be resolved. So the thesis that I'd like to to lay before you here is pray for all people to be saved. And there are three, I think, compelling reasons. In the text that I read, you'll see all people in verse 1, all people in verse 4, and all people in verse 6. Three times it's mentioned all people. And I'll I'll kind of give you my my three reasons right up front and then just uh, expand a little bit this morning. The first compelling reason that I pray for all people to be saved is because it is God's will that all men be saved. Now you say, that's a pretty strong statement. But it's really right in the text. If you look at verse 3, it says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants, it's right there, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. What is truth? God is truth. His word is truth. And it's God's will that all men be saved. Secondly, Jesus Christ came to give himself a ransom for all people. Look at verse 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for who? For all people. He gave himself a ransom. In other words, 
Jesus Christ, on his sacrifice on the cross and his blood, atoned. It says he's giving himself, he's offering himself for all people. And then third, uh, we are here to pray for all people to be saved. There's a command. So God, it's, it's, it, we see that in verse 1. It says, I urge, first of all, prayers, petitions made for all people. Verse 7, uh, and for this purpose, Paul was appointed a herald, an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. So what he's saying is that there are three reasons why we should pray for all men to be saved. One is that's at the heart of God. That's what God wants. Number two, this is what Jesus came to do. And number three, that God has given us the command to pray for that and to be actively engaged in that work. So he urges him along. And I want us to just look a little bit at, at these. First of all, when, when it says it's God's will that all men be saved, uh, he states that clearly. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, uh, it says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But it's not a new concept. Um, I don't want to have you flipping through your Bibles and chasing, chasing after me on this, but I can read this from Isaiah uh, chapter 45, because God, God the Father, God is referred to as Savior. And Isaiah 45, verse 21, it says, Declare what is to be, present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago, who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. Then he says in verse 22, I love this verse, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So what he is saying is that I want all ends of the earth to turn to me. For I am God and Savior. And then in Ezekiel, another one of the prophets, as he's writing forward to this uh, chapter 18 and verse 30, it says, Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O people of Israel? And then he says in verse 32, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord, repent and live. So I would conclude from this, the same with John 3.16, For God so loved who? The world. For God so loved the world. Who does that include? I believe that includes everyone. He's not speaking of the physical earth. He's not talking about, about the cosmos or the world system of thinking. He is talking about humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All people. You know, I think it's hard for me to pray that way. Uh, because I'd actually like to see some people get it, you know, just get judged. 
is so interesting. I was following the, the Boston Marathon uh, killings. I mean, any of you follow that on, on the news with the, the, the one guy that was on trial? Uh, and, and they were polling people about should he get capital punishment. And it's like no one believes in capital punishment except for this guy. <laughs> so, <clears throat> and it was really kind of funny how people would say, no, I don't believe in that, and yet they voted for it. And I believe there are certain things for all of us that are so disgusting, make us so angry. You know, you, you hear about what people will do to little children <clears throat> and uh, people who are abusive. You think of mass murderers and genocides in the past like Adolf Hitler and say, well, he deserves it. <laughs> but we don't believe in it, but he deserves it. <clears throat> and part of us would really love to see justice served. And we really don't want them to be forgiven and saved. You think, well, how could someone think that way? I think a lot of us can think that way. And that's the way Jonah felt. Do you remember the story of Jonah swallowed up in the great fish? God had said to Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and preach to them. And so Jonah turned and he fled. And he's on the ship. The ship was being tossed about. And he said, well, it's me. And they threw him overboard. He swallowed by the, the fish, <clears throat> spit up on land. And God says again, go to Nineveh. <clears throat> why, didn't, why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? He, was, he wasn't afraid of them. I don't believe that. You know, Jonah, Jonah was a strong guy, a, a preacher of righteousness. He was a prophet of God. I don't believe it because he was afraid of them. He didn't want God to be merciful to them because they were so disgusting, so vile, so wretched, so wicked that he wanted them just judged. Now, <clears throat> I believe this, that God gets glory in everything he does. He gets glory in judgment. In other words, when God judges sin, and he is a just judge and makes things right and, and, and pours out the penalty, God gets glory in that because he's a just judge. But, but my, and I probably don't express this the best way, but I think God gets more glory when he forgives. <laughs> um, and, and on the basis of Christ, all of the justice and wrath that God has toward those wicked, vile sinners who have done those horrible things that we hate, all of that justice has been poured out on his son, Jesus, on the cross. And because of that, people can be forgiven. They can be forgiven. And I believe God gets great pleasure and great delight in the forgiveness that way. Now, when I, when I think of all people, God wants to save everyone in Boulder Valley, everyone here, and I'm trying to think through, God has great passion and great desire to save all people in Boulder Valley. Some of them I'll look at like the person just ran you off the road. You have a harder time feeling that way. But let me, let me, to me, it was kind of exciting looking at, at some of these words in the, in the text. But when, when we read about God's desire, 
he, in verse 4, it says, God wants, or you may, the first two words, it says, who wants or who wills. And in the English language, we will translate that, that to will something, to want something. And in the, in the New Testament Greek, you'll have different words for these things, but the word that is used here, the word fellow, means a strong, passionate, earnest desire. <clears throat> that God has a strong earnest, passionate desire that all men be saved. It is different than the word bulamai that is also translated will or want, which means a precise determination. I don't want to digress to too much complication, but I think it's important to, to do this, that when God says He wants all men to be saved, He wants all people to be saved, is that a genuine offer? Does he really mean that? Does he really intend that? Some of you have heard the term limited atonement. You heard that? Is that it's, it's a buzzword. <laughs> limited atonement. <clears throat> the best way I can describe is I do not believe that God's offer and God's passion for redeeming men is limited. But the effect is limited. In other words, if, if uh, God says, I want all men to be saved, and if he said, well, he willed it, it's happened. That would be universalism. In other words, God, God just saved everybody because he wanted it, he willed it. And the word bulamai does mean a precise determination to cause it. It's not the word used. So God has not caused all men, all men to be saved. God has caused certain men to be saved. So, I don't believe in a limited offer, but there's a limited effect. There's a, limit, there's a limited determination at the end. And I think it's important to say that because that when he says, whosoever will me, may come, he means that. Anyone who calls upon him can be saved. And God does love everyone, and the offer is genuine. And God does desire every single person in Boulder Valley to be saved. Every one of your kids. Now, to me, we're, we're getting an insight to the heart of God. Now, will everyone believe? No. They won't. And God has um, put that the responsibility on each person to, to be responsible to either believe or not believe. God does not force salvation, even if you're in a Christian home, or force salvation on everyone else. But the offer is broad, it is wide, it is deep. The effect, or the precise determination, is, is something different that God does. So for our church, my prayer would be that our heart, Valley Community Church, reflects the heart of God. We pray for all people to come to Christ. And we believe that's what God wants and that's what God can do. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that Jesus gave himself a ransom for all people. Verses 5 and 6, as I've read that, the offer is for all. It's a legitimate offer. His blood atonement is what I would say sufficient and able to cover all sinners, but it is effective only to those who believe. 
Does that make sense? The blood of Christ is sufficient to wash away all the sins of the world. It's not limited in that. It's ability. But it is limited in its effect. And so those who believe and trust in Jesus experience the cleansing power of His forgiveness. I also note First uh, John 2 and verse 2, it says, He, Jesus Christ, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, to me, that's clear. I'll stop and say this. I'm just one man trying to explain to me the incredible mysteries of the Word. In some ways, it's so simple. In other ways, I just step back and I go, man, God's just so amazing. He is so amazing. But you just come back from this passage realizing that this is the heart of God for all men, all people, to be saved. And that Jesus Christ gave him self a ransom for all people so that this offer is to all. And I think that when our church carries that out with whosoever will may come, every person you see, God loves. Do you know that? God loves. And God wants to be saved. And God sent His Son to save. And God wants you to pray for them. And God wants you to be an agent to do that. A lot of us feel like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Well, that's why he says, first of all, I want you to pray. <laughs> I'll give you what to say later. If we could just get praying. So the third, first reason, first reason is that, that God, His will is that all men be saved. The second reason is that Jesus came Himself to give a rams, Himself a ransom for all people. And the third reason, and I'll conclude with this, is that God has called us to pray for all men to be saved and to be participating in that work. We call it evangelism or evangelistically sharing the good news. If, if this opportunity to have your sins washed away and have eternal life with God is, is true, then it, it should be the most exciting thing we ever talk about. It should be. And it is the greatest need of the world. What's our president's greatest need? It's the same as your son or daughter's need. It's salvation in Jesus. And when we have salvation in Jesus, we, we have, we're now in touch with the solution to all of our problems. There are a lot of things that we do as a church. A lot of things we do as people. But this is the first we should be doing. In times of crisis and difficulty and despair and conflict and opinions flying here and there, the greatest need is not for you and it's your workplace to win a debate on same-sex marriage or on abortion or on euthanasia or on capital punishment or and I'm not saying these things are unimportant I'm not saying that but I'm saying the great need is Jesus the great need is salvation and that needs to be what we think about what we talk about what we pray about and and the power of the gospel can will transform all of those things into alignment with what pleases God I think for the church 
It's one of the last things we do is really care about things that are outside our world. You know this? I'm, and I'm the same way you are. I live in my little world. I live in my little world. I got my little world, and I go here, and I go there, and I live in my little world. Our churches are like castles. You know, they're like brick castles. We've got a little moat going around, and we're kind of sneaking on Sunday with all my friends. And all it is, it it becomes like a country club. It's like a country club. Now, I'm glad we enjoy being together. You know, Sundays to me are so refreshing to be together. But the most important thing we have on this earth is telling people the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope that is in Him, that God loves them, that God sent His Son to die for them. If they believe upon Him, they can be saved. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, think about it. <clears throat> of all the things we might do, read the Bible. Okay, I think the most important thing is the, the exposition of the Word of God. When we get to heaven, we're going to see the living Word of God, right? So when we get to heaven, we'll enjoy that forever. <laughs> well, I just, fellowship. Well, we'll enjoy fellowship in heaven. We'll be with all our friends in heaven. How about prayer? Well, we'll be talking to Him face to face. But the one thing you're not going to be able to do is share with your neighbor the good news if he's, if he's not believed. And I believe this, that God's supreme and eternal end is His glory, and that's our, our chief end, so to speak. But I believe in, in this world that the task of this church is spreading the good news of Jesus to tell people about the love of God. And you know what my prayer would be that... that God could use Valley Community Church to be like a catalyst to to start a tsunami wave over Boulder Valley of the love of God and the expression of Jesus to forgive sins and the giving of eternal life. And that God would do that through all of us. Because I think that when we huddle up our holy huddles, our castles, our little worlds, we become what I call Dead Sea Christians. You know the Dead Sea in the Middle East? Why they call it the Dead Sea? Because everything's dead in it. Because it has water flowing into it and no water flowing out. And that's the way a lot of us are. You know, we get taken in, taken in, taken in. It's all about me. I'm taken in, taken in. We're not giving out. And I think you need to take in, but we also need to give out. It's not hard It's not hard for me to pray for my grandkids' salvation. I do that every day. (laughs) When Diane first got pregnant, pregnant, this is is a while ago, not presently. Immediately, we didn't know it was going to be Sarah yet, but I started praying for her salvation right away. It's not hard for me to pray for that. But... Can I challenge you this morning as we leave to let, let it go outside of your world, your kids, your family? Some of you have family members that don't know the Lord. How much do you pray for them? You say, well, I don't know what to say. I think, no, pray for them. Pray for them. God will give you what to say in time. But, but if we would pray earnestly for our, our family, how about our neighbors? People living right next to us. How about strangers? You pass every day. Did you know that you pass a complete stranger walking by you that God loves them, sent His Son to die for their sins? Are you engaged with that, praying for the city? What about your enemies? 
Well, I'd rather see my enemies fry. <laughs> well, I would too. If I'm honest with you, I'd rather see them just get it. <clears throat> but you know what? Jesus said this. Pray for your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that despitefully use you. And you know what? God gets great glory in saving your enemies. The heathen. How often do you pray for Barack Obama? Well, I don't agree with him. I just, you know, and it's really easy for me to go down that path. What does he need? What does Barack Obama need? Not for me to go correct his politics. Not for him to get a piece of my mind. But he needs to know Jesus as a Savior. And so does every other political leader. And it gets into this passage later on. But I thought, Lord, help me to be more consciously aware of every person I pass in this city, every stranger, every enemy, and to realize that, first of all, prayers, first of all, prayers be made. And as you leave today, I want to give you a little bit of an assignment. I'm not going to check you next week, but, but, but take a piece of paper or write in your Bible. Start putting down the names of the people your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. You think of how many people this little group will rub elbows with this week, just this week. This little group, how many people who need Christ this week? And I tell you what, if we're all praying that way, what do you think would happen? I think what we'd see is a wave of people coming to Christ. I really do. Because it is the will of God. It's why Jesus came. It's what he commanded us to do. And it's what God delights in doing. So I've been praying that God would bring me to break out of my little world, my little secure world, and start thinking of what God really wants to do. The love of God for this city. Do you think what he's done for you and given us this privilege to meet together and what could happen in Boulder Valley and in Denver? It's happened before. But I believe it begins when people start praying. Um, you look through church history and you see all kinds of revivals. And sometimes they're just pure pragmatism. People are just with gimmicks and church growth movement. We're going to do this. We're going to have a big show. We're going to do this and get a lot of people. But genuine heart transformation comes as a result of prayer and praying for those that need Christ. And so my 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 prayer is that you leave today with a desire to start writing down the names of people and thinking through and praying for those that you come in contact with every day and base it upon these scriptures that this delights the heart of God. It's the reason Christ came, and it's first of all what we should be doing. Let's bow together.